So let me just, before we go into our text, let me explain something to you and how it worked. The Pharisees were keepers and teachers of the law. But by the time the New Testament came, the Pharisees had added so many other rules that they had somehow made pleasing God difficult, frustrating, and, and really impossible. Because what they would do is they would add a law to keep you from breaking the law, then add another law to keep you from breaking the law that was designed to keep you from breaking God's law. And then they would make another law to keep you from breaking the law, which they implemented, to keep you from breaking the other law that they implemented so that you won't break God's law. And so it became strenuous. And Jesus came on the scene speaking with the authority of God. And the problem they had with Jesus is he was speaking directly on the behalf of God. And so Jesus tells, if you get a chance, read Matthew 23. Jesus says, you keep the law of Moses. The Pharisees teach the law. And they, they hold up the law of Moses. So everything that they say as it pertains to the law of Moses, you do. Then, but then Jesus turned around and said, but don't do what they do. So they use truth, and then they add to that truth. Because just telling the plain truth leaves God in control. But if you add to that truth, you can control the people. And for years, our traditions across the nation have added laws to God's law in order to control people and uh, soon you had churches who were more interested in keeping law than walking in love. Are you understanding this? And so if there were honest, truth-believing people, when you get a truth believer and not a my truth believer, then logic, reason, and the word would force you to admit that the biggest problem that we have had with things was not Bible, but personal preference. But sometimes when people want to solidify and bind their preference on people, they will use the scripture because I want you to do what I want you to do. I need to use scripture to control you so that you do what I want you to do instead of doing what God says. And because of that, watch the pendulum. Because of that, is everybody listening? Say amen. amen. Because of that, there are liberties that our fellowship stays completely away from and condemns others for taking. That's one side of the pendulum. The other side of the pendulum is there are liberties that God didn't give that we look at others, that some people look at others because they won't go there and take a liberty that God didn't give. There is no biblical liberty for a woman usurping authority. There is none. There's no liberty for a woman, quote unquote, pastoring a church. First Timothy 3 gives a list of qualifications. And one of the things in the list is that the man needs to be the husband of one wife. So there's no liberty for that. Right? Because that's what the what says. 
But the Bible mentions in Romans 16 a woman who serves, whose name was Phoebe. And she was a deaconess. Because of our fear, we stay away from that and we chalk that up or try to explain it in a way that's not biblical because we prefer to stay this because this law keeps me from breaking this law and keeps me from breaking this law and keeps me from breaking the law of God. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to be preaching and teaching like a man with limited time. I will respect everybody's growth process. But if you're one of those people that are not willing to learn because you already got it, this teaching environment will become hostile to you. Are you understanding this, Mountain View? Please hear my heart. There have been times where people walk in here and see five song leaders and walk right out. I appreciate that. You know why? Because not for you, walk out. What I don't appreciate and can appreciate, when somebody hold that seed of bitterness and stay, and start causing confusion. Does that make sense? Because in one case, you're angry because you don't see no scripture for song leader or song leaders. But there is scripture about causing division. So you stay and cause division, which the Bible talks against directly over something you just don't see in the Bible and you can't reconcile because it was in the Bible. We never saw the New Testament church use five song leaders. Well, guess what? I never saw them use one. Does that make sense? Just want to get past some things and get to the point where we operate in liberty so that when national crisis come, when a national crisis comes that gives the whole world an opportunity to see that we follow Christ, we don't show so much of ourselves that we cannot show Christ. The worst person that ever gets in the way of you and I showing Jesus is you and I. Give God some glory if you agree. Okay, that was my soapbox. So good to see you in the house of the Lord. I won't be long because I'm, I'm uh, right now, I have painkiller. I want to think I had surgery on Monday and uh, it panned out not to be what they thought. How many of you know that God can change the detail between tests? I'm a witness that God can change the details between the tests. You got to go back for another test. Don't say it is what you think it is until God says it. Because between tests, between opportunities, between things and decisions and this, God can change the details. And when you stop believing it, God will give you just what your faith can afford. But I know some folk that got a lot of money in their faith account. Amen? I may not have it in my bank account, but my faith, there's a lot in there. Amen. So spend it wisely. And you spend it wisely by not putting your faith in things you can see, but putting your faith in who? God. All right. Isaiah. Some of you were so concerned. I, I, really, I really appreciate that. A few of you said, are you okay? <laughs> I am okay. Uh, the painkiller is good. Uh, you know, so right now, if you hear something strange, and what you heard was not strange, that was very deliberate, 
But during the course of this sermon, if you hear me say something to somebody I've had a problem with in front of everybody, I'm just going to pass out and just chalk it up to whatever's going on inside me today. Isaiah chapter 43. There's a term, before we get into the text, there's a term in Scripture in the New Testament where, where, where Jesus would say something and the people would know it was right. But the term says, for fear of the Jews. Yeah. Anybody ever read that in Scripture? Yeah. Jesus was speaking right. But for fear of the Jews, they did not go with Jesus, with truth, because they feared the people who had influence, even though they were understanding this is true, they would not submit to it because they were afraid of people. Let me help somebody in here. When you start getting to the point where you're no longer afraid Afraid of people, there will be a freedom that comes over you that will give you a courage and a confidence that to those who don't understand will look like arrogance. Amen. It will look like arrogance, but when you put your confidence in God, He backs up truth no matter who decides not to. Okay, Isaiah 43, for a few moments of your time, I'm, I'm going to be taking it easy, not a lot of screaming and shouting, because uh, some of you prefer that I don't do that, and that's good. Just two verses, and I want to encourage somebody today. This was encouraging to me, perhaps it'll be encouraging to you. I need you to follow this since we're only doing two verses, verse number 18 and verse number 19. So good to see uh, Dr. Joel Brown Amen. here from the Beaumont, uh, Port Arthur area. Amen. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's ever been here to preach, but it's so good to see you. And if you want to, you can stand for the reading of the scripture that you're at liberty. You don't have to. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to stand, stand. So this, this is on webcast, so this is something everybody, everything that happened today, everybody gets a chance to hear. It's not in secret. Bible says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Everybody say he's going to do something new. Oh, God. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, let me, let's just read on to verse 21, I'm sorry. The beast of the field will glorify me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness. I want you to notice what God says. He says, he says the beast of the field will glorify me. He didn't say to Israel, you will. He says, the beast of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness, which indicates that animals will recognize what God is doing. Because mm. I've given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people who I formed for myself will declare my praise. You may be seated. Turn to somebody and say, stop rehearsing the old thing. Stop rehearsing the old 
because he's about to do a new thing. And some of you turned to nobody, so I want to give you credit for that. And there was nobody sitting next to you. So if nobody's sitting next to you, you can find somebody, a real person, because that says you're in the right frame of mind. And turn to somebody and say, stop rehearsing the old thing. Because God is about to do a new thing. Okay, okay. Amen, amen. The life of the children of Israel was marked by periods of bondage and periods of freedom. Since the time they became a people, they became a people and they were birthed as a people in bondage. Uh, young people, you can understand that. That means that they were born slaves. The people of Israel, or Jacob, were born slaves. Okay? They became a people, a body of people, while they were in slavery. And if you recall, that was when they went down uh, to, uh, they went down to Egypt on their brother Joseph's ticket. You remember that? And they begin to multiply, multiply, and then a king rose that didn't know Joseph. So you had 430 years worth of people being born in slavery. They were a people, but they were not a nation. When they came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea into the wilderness, and God gave them his law because law is necessary to regulate a nation. Part of why he gave them the law was because they weren't going to be a meandering, wandering, vagabond-like people. They were going to be a nation. And nations can't stand or operate without law who was going to be the ruler of that nation. They were under what's called a theocracy. Everybody say theocracy. I believe everything needs to teach in, in a lesson. So a monarchy is a king. A matriarchy is a queen. Matriarch, matriarchy. A theocracy, if theos means God, a theocracy is what? That God is your what? He's your ruler. He's your king. So they didn't come out, it wasn't Moses, he wasn't king, he wasn't the ruler of God's people, God. When they got hungry, they cried to who? God. When they got thirsty, they cried to God. When they were concerned to somebody, they cried to God and they used Moses as the means of connecting with God. Moses would go to God and you know, they'd be thirsty and all of a sudden they get to bitter waters. Uh, this was while they were in the wilderness. And Moses would throw a stick in the water and the bitter waters would be made sweet. I mean, they got hungry and they, they, they were complaining and bickering and they would cry to God, God, this, that, that. Mo they would cry to Moses and to God and Moses would go to God, talk to God, and all of a sudden, quail would just fall from the sky. I mean, a buffet. I mean, I mean come on now. KFC in the wilderness. Right? Well, what eventually happened, if we're going to walk and survey this, what eventually happened is God, once they got into Canaan, their land, because they were now a nation, and a nation needs a land to operate out of. A nation can, is not confirmed as a nation if they don't have a land to inhabit. We, we are a nation because we inhabit what? Huh? Land. The United States. This is our land. We are a nation. This is our land. Nation lands go together. God says, now, I've made you a nation. I've gave you, given you a law. Now I'm going to give you, as I promised, a land. And the land that they were going to get was the land of what? Canaan. Canaan. Right? I'm trying to be very simplistic with this. They gave, so God gave them the land of Canaan. They got pieces of the land. The Levites didn't get a piece, so on. They go and inhabit Canaan after conquering Canaan. Then they went through a period called the Judges. The Judges was kind of the first line of human government when it came to the people of God. 
God says, I'm going to give you judges to, to regulate matters and to judge matters that happened because they were still people even though they were a nation and things would come up that would demand that somebody would, uh, would, uh, would manage and make decisions and arbitrate things and that's when you have the judges. So your, your Bible in the Old Testament there's the book of Judges. What that basically means is God would raise up a judge to protect and rule and govern and make decisions and arbitrate among the people of God. Say amen if you're understanding this. I'm more interested in your understanding than your shout at this point. So they had the judges. Well, guess what? The last judge, some would say Samson, but it wasn't Samson. Samson was a judge. Remember the guy with the long hair and everything? you know, laid in Delilah's lap and she cut his hair off, gave him a haircut. And suddenly, you know, his hair was tied to his strength and all of that. How many of you remember that? Well, there was, a, there was a judge after him. That judge's name was Samuel. Everybody say Samuel. Samuel was the last judge during the period of the judges. Here's the problem. When Samuel is, is the judge, the people get an idea that we are noticing these other nations and they have a king. So they say, give us a king so that we can be like other nations. What do you think that does to Samuel, who's a judge? They're basically asking him out of a job. He was not a king, he was a judge. So of course he goes to God and he says, God, they want a king. Now imagine, Samuel has been commissioned by God Everybody knew he was a judge. He was the last judge. He thought it was absurd. He thought it was nonsense. He had these people asking for a king because other nations have a king. And you would think that because Samuel was God's man, God would tell him, you know, don't listen to them. They're just foolish. They're, they're unreasonable. They're this, that, and the other. My people are so disobedient. Do you know what God told Samuel? He said, give him a king. What happens when God leads you to do something that makes you uncomfortable? To make people un to make people comfortable. What happens when you have to move, be make a move that God made and that God said because be that's absurd to you, but it it makes you uncomfortable, but people who are not even connected to God comfortable. Samuel must have that had to be depressing. Here he is. You know, he feels discarded. He feels, he feels misplaced. And now he gives them a king. Are you all with me? That book, those books in your Bible that say First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, that's everything that happened since they had a king. Saul, David, and then the nation was divided. They went through the kings. Here's, here's what basically happens. During the kings, they began to move into a thing called idolatry. That's when you try to put anything in God's place and worship him and serve it or him as if he is God. Are you understand? Everybody say idolatry. If you love your car more than God, your car is your idol. If you serve your house more than your God, your house is your idol. If you serve your bank account, then the God you serve is Wells Fargo. Chase, whatever you move in God's place and serve like you're only supposed to serve God, if your wife or your husband has eclipsed God, that is your idol. That is your God. The weird part about it is you can never get from another God what the true God can only give you. Okay, I'm being real simplistic. Well, they started serving other gods, false gods, gods of the Canaanites, and they got in trouble again. They got in bondage. This is the second time God's people were stuck in bondage. This time it wasn't the Egyptians. This time it was a people called the Babylonians. Everybody say Babylonians. Babylonians. So they were first in bondage as a people to the Egyptians. 
the second major bondage, they were in bondage as a nation to the Babylonians. Okay, this is history. I hope it's interesting, but it's important for you to know. So here they are in Babylon. They were carried out. And they were, they were in bondage. They, they were not just slaves. There, there's something deeper than slavery. Slavery like chains and slavery like ankle ankle chains and slavery like whips to the back. There's something deeper than that kind of slavery. Bondage, it was bondage. It was being stuck, having to be under another nation's rule. It means you were never authentically you anymore because you had to get permission from this nation to be who you are. That's deep bondage because it feels like freedom. I mean, they were still allowed to grow things and have their own areas and they were allowed to, 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 to go to and fro, to do business in the marketplace. But at the end of the day, they did not belong to themselves. And what happened is they started adopting naturally some of the ways of the people that owned them and that was the ways of the Babylonians. They were not supposed to be in bondage. They were not supposed to be stuck. And here in this small text, God says something different than he ever said before. What God usually says is, remember how I brought you out. He says through Jeremiah before they even got here, who prophesied that they were going to be in bondage. Look, that popular scripture that we like, you know, you know, that, that we like to quote that says, you know, you know, I, 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 I know, I know you and I will bring you to a good place because I am the Lord. And we, we quote that, we quote that scripture, but that was before they got in there. In other words, God was telling them they were going to get out before they got in. But they had to go in because they had served other gods and now they were in bondage and God was no longer telling them, remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Because those people can't remember. Because Egypt was in Exodus. They can only remember what they were told. So they couldn't remember how God actually brought them out of Egyptian bondage. They can only remember the stories. But every generation needs their own testimony. Are you understanding this? When I see people that can't remember, now, now the people that can remember all of the injustice done to any race in this country, most of them are not fit enough to, walk, to march. They're not. But you have generations who heard about it. And they're acting off of what they heard. But whenever God is about to do a new thing, he allows a new affliction. Here's, here, here's the practical now. He was going to allow a new affliction so that he can do a new thing because if he doesn't allow a new affliction, then when he does a new thing, he, people don't have a new testimony. Are you understanding this? You got folk that still talk about, oh, back then we were slaves, we had to drink out of this water fountain, that water fountain, and you, 22, you don't remember that. You 30, and you talking about water fountains, and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't have this, and we had to go to the back, yeah, out here. You reading that out of a book. But whatever, whatever's happening now, you can relate with. You can't even appreciate the heroes of old that died for things like laws that were put in place and civil rights people who marched and died and were persecuted and were, were mistreated and were abused. You can remember reading that, but you cannot remember it because you were not there. You remember the information, but you can't remember the experience. And I'm here to tell you today as we move from the historical to the practical the reason why you can't you and I can't keep living off of the experiences that we've heard about is because we 
won't give God the glory over something he delivered them from. So what God says is I'm going to introduce to you a new experience, one that you never had, one that you haven't heard about because you're in it. You're not going to say I heard about it. You're not going to say I read it. You're not going to say I heard mama talk about it. You're not going to say uh, say it was on the internet. Why? Because it's going to be a new experience. Why? Whenever God starts allowing a new affliction, it's because he's about to do a new thing. God's new thing comes with new afflictions so that the praise will be fresh. Some of us ain't had fresh praise in a long time because we're still talking about what you've seen somebody else go through. But oh, when God opens the door for you to have trouble with your health, for you to have trouble in your marriage, for you to have trouble on your job, for you to have trouble with your kids, that's not an old affliction that you heard somebody else talk about. It's a new affliction and you might as well get ready because you still belong to God and because you still belong to God, He's about to do a new thing for your new affliction. There's no such thing as handed down praise. No such thing as handed down testimony. You can't live off of what you heard happen to brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so. This, even in the congregation, my teaching, this teaching is very pointed. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. All the things that God has done for this congregation during my tenure, many of you remember that. But there's a whole generation here. You don't remember that. It's only what you heard. How God would take a congregation sitting on West Illinois Avenue, seemingly in an obscure part of Dallas when it comes to churches, not on a main, main thoroughfare and bless this congregation to be on television for two years. Amen. Some of you don't know that. We're a little church that could. We were on television for two years. Packed, this place packed. Uh, not only that, but some of you may not even know we were in the movie theaters. You know that little show, that pre-show become, before you watch the movie, that, that preview of something before you watch the movie? We had an ad that showed in, in a, at least three movie theaters that people had to watch about this church before watching their movie, before watching Star Wars or whatever they were going to watch. You, some of you weren't here for that. You, 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 so, okay. Uh, did I tell you that this church didn't have a budget for it? Did, did I tell you that this church didn't have the money for it. How did it happen, Brother Hamilton, if this church didn't have the money for it? We served. We served. We were about God's business. And somebody up and wrote us a check for $60,000 to advertise. Then the professional NFL player showed up, sat right over there, wanted to worship with us. We did these things without, of the, without all of the prowess of, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You should have a budget. But I'm saying budgets are for us. God don't need a budget. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? We would not have possibly ever been able to do it. And I'm not saying don't budget your money. And I know there are accountants in here. And I know some of y'all looking cross-eyed. And I, I get it. I get it. But listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't manage your money. Manage your money. But don't trust your management. And don't trust your money. Are you understanding what I'm saying? God did this without a budget. We were on, not only that, but we were on the Ricky Smiley Morning Show for about a year and a half. Billboards. Now watch this. I'm going somewhere because the text tells us something. We were, all, we were doing all of this stuff and people would literally drive by here to see what this building looked like. 
because we were doing the kind of advertisement that almost led you to believe that this was some monstrosity sitting on Illinois, some new edifice that matched. No, we, you had this church sitting on 4111 West Illinois, not even polished, just a plain looking building, nothing extravagant, lines not even in the parking lot, so you had to hope you were parking in order and in decency. I mean, you had people walking out of there, white collar workers, blue collar workers, everybody just going to fellowshipping with one another. As a matter of fact, there were some other people that called this the country church in the city. Now, I don't have to just tell you that in your own life. Think of all the things you did that you did not have the means to do it with. Amen. Somehow, some way, at the right time, somebody was benevolent. You got a check that you didn't know was coming from anywhere. You tried to save, but the devourer was on your tail. So you'd save 500 and owe 300. You'd save 1,000 and owe 700 because they were after you. And I'm not talking to people who want to look like they got it all together and they can just dish out a check for anything they want. I want to talk to some honest people that know that they've struggled and they strained maybe not as much as other people but they had to sacrifice yet and still if you look at what you've done where you've been and how you were in your life it is not even commensurate to what you have in the bank that's because the budget is for you not for God yet in this text God says, forget about that. What? You know why he's telling them forget about it? One reason is because they weren't there to remember. So what I'm telling you, many of you, who have just been here in the last seven years, eight years, is that's not as relevant to you. Because it ain't your testimony. It ain't your testimony. It's not what you were a part of. And I've learned, even in my own life, I can't get excited about a historical testimony like I would a personal testimony. Are you understanding this? We naturally, somewhere in our mind, disconnect. If, if, if you told me, Nate, that, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I almost died and, and, and God came through, I'm going to rejoice for, with you, but I'm not going to rejoice with you like somebody who was there. So let's stop acting like that. I mean, we happy, but you're not happy on the level as if somebody, as, as somebody who was right there. If you, if you almost got in trouble, or if you've been incarcerated, or you got in trouble with the law, or this happened and that happened, and, and, and you only heard about it, you may be happy, but it's a different kind of rejoicing than the rejoicing that happens when you were right there. Benny Howard is here. So good to have you, Sister Howard, and, and the young people. And he shared that his mom, Sarah Howard, passed. Sarah Howard was somebody in East Texas, a congregation where I used to minister. Sarah Howard was 97. And it seemed like she was 97 for a long time, Brother Benny. <laughs> but that, thro that threw me off. And you know why that kind of threw me off? Differently than if somebody else came in and said, oh, my, 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 my past. And you know how we do. We ask how old they were if we don't know them. And we say, how old was Uh, 102. And we almost feel like, oh, like, yeah. that's good. I mean, that's, that's a ripe old age. And the reason why we're able to do it is a lot of times, is because when you tell me that your grandma passed at 102, but I never knew her, I'm disconnected. So I will sympathize 
but I can't empathize. When he told me Sarah Howard passed, I was thrown off, you know, because I knew her. We had long talks with her pointing her finger at me. You know what I'm talking about. Watch this. This church is going through something right now that the testimony 15 years ago won't even make a difference. Because most of you weren't here for that. God will never allow a people or his person to keep living off of a testimony or a living off of a, an event that they were not part of. You can't live off of other people's testimony. No. So God says to them, forget about it. I am the Lord that brought you through the Red Sea. I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. F but forget about it. You see that in verse 18? He says, you know, just forget about it. Why? Why, Lord? Why are you telling them to forget about it? For the same reason why we don't rejoice a lot of times that they came through the Red Sea. How many of you get really excited when you heard about how God brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea? You know why you don't get really excited? I mean, you might get a little emotional because it's preaching, but you don't get excited because you weren't there. We cannot emotionally connect to a testimony that we're so estranged to that we can't say we had anything vested in it. And God was going to do something new because now this group of children of Israel were in their own bondage. They were in their own, be, own version of being stuck. And I wonder if there's anybody in here that's in your own version of being stuck right now. I'm not talking about somebody else's stuff. I'm not talking about the stuff from the 60s or the stuff from the 20s, when the stuff when the Walmart, when, when, the, when, when the Wall Street market crashed. I'm not talking about that. I can read about that in history books. But I'm looking if there's somebody, anybody, who remotely is in your own stuck situation. How many in here are in their own Babylon right now? Your relationship Babylon, your financial Babylon, your Babylon of health and, and affliction, your Babylon of trouble with your kids. God says you need to be in your own Babylon because when I tell you what I did before, you won't connect to it because you weren't there. But oh, when I do this new thing, something you never experienced, something that you never knew, you're going to appreciate it with a different kind of praise because you sat in bondage. You sat in trouble. You sat in the situation. Your back was against the wall. Didn't know what you were going to do. So when I do this new thing, you will not only know who I was, but you will know who I am. Some of you are still harping on who God was. What God did. Yeah, God did it. Yeah, God did it. But oh, when it's your turn for a new affliction, your God did it will change into God does it because I'm experienced. Are you understanding this? Okay, I'm, just, I'm, I'm being clear because I want everybody to understand this. So no matter what happened with Mount View in the past, we're not going to talk about it. Forget about it. God spoke in my spirit and said, JK, forget about it. That, that doesn't matter. Because people don't spend their present affliction. Watch this. Rehearsing their past deliverance. No, we don't. I know, I know that it was good preacher talk to say, just remember what God did. How many of you can be honest in here and say that what I'm going through now hurts too bad for me to rehearse a deliverance from years ago? I, I, I don't want to talk to religious people. I want to talk to honest people who are going to be sincere right now because you can get some new hurts, some new situations in your life that hurt so bad that you can't even remember what God did five years ago, ten years ago. 
Amen. And people who are disconnected from your trouble will act like it's a walk in the park when you have cancer today. And they will simplify, oversimplify Christianity and say, you know what? Just remember, you remember, you remember 15 years ago when they found that knot? And you being polite, say, yeah, yeah, God can do it. But when that person leaves, you're not thinking about the 15-year-ago knot. You're thinking about what's going on in your life right now. Because this is the reality you have to deal with is now. I've got to deal with now. I know God did some other things in my past. But right now, I don't have the relief of pain long enough to reflect. I've got to cope with my pain right now. So what does God say to that? Oh, you, you just, you know, does God fault you because you won't just rehearse? 20 years ago, this happened. and No. What God says is, okay, forget about that. But pay attention because I'm about to do a new thing. The other reason, the other reason, I'm almost done. I know, I know some of you are like, I know he up there hurting. No, I took painkiller. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I took the stuff that lasts too. It can last another hour. Who knows? <laughs> Just playing. Just playing. I'm going to stop assuming you don't like the preaching of the word. You like the word. Some of you just got places to go, but you like the word. Right, Brother Bellage? <laughs> Inside joke. The other thing is, sometimes when God starts doing things and we reflect on how God did it, in our mind, we get the idea that God is going to fix it the same way. In our mind, the way, the way the story went 15 years ago is how we're expecting it to go now. So we make God predictable. We say because when this happened years ago, God fixed it like this. And this is how God fixed it. I know it's going to be all right today because when this happened 15 years ago, just walked out and nothing was wrong. And we begin to write God a prescription for how we want him to fix whatever's going on in our right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Has anyone ever figured in your mind that God is going to fix this thing because I saw him do it and he's, he, uh, yeah, watch, it's not over because this, that, and the other. God will come in right on time. And we say right on time looking at our watches and not waiting for his will. Right on time based on my estimation. Somebody in here, you need to hear this. And the crazy part is, you don't even know you need to hear it yet. Because you think Tuesday, this Tuesday is going to be just like the last five Tuesdays. That's why I say don't waste the word. Don't be so anxious to hear the end of the word. Drink this. Because sometimes God will give you the medicine before you get sick. That's what a vaccination is. A vaccination is you getting the medicine before the sickness comes. But if you keep putting it off and I don't have time for it, then when, you get, when it happens, you get sick unnecessarily because God says, I tried to give you the shot. So what does God say? as we bring this plane down for landing. <sighs> he says, don't recall the former things. Don't ponder things of the past. He doesn't say indefinitely, but he's saying, look, don't try to figure me out. There's no Red Sea in this. You waiting for us to march again through a Red Sea? No, there's no Red Sea this time, right? It, it, don't ponder in the past how I did it. He says, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? In other words, you're going to be aware of it. He, this, God is being, if you would, he is being a little facetious. He said, you know, you don't think you'll be aware of it? You're going to be aware of it. How? Because it's going to be as plain as day. 
It's going to be as plain as the Red Sea opening, but that's not how I'm going to do it. This time, God says, it's going to spring forth, and I will make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. What do you mean? A wilderness is an empty place. It's a place that offers no promise. It's a desert, dry, and offers no promise of anything. And some of us are looking. We look so much for something, that little light. Anybody ever look for that little light, that little glimpse of hope? God sometimes will not give it to you. He's not going to show you where you're going to be. He's going to open up the way of escape right in the middle of your lostness. He's going to offer, an, he's going to offer a remedy right in the middle of your sickness. You're not even going to get the privilege of hearing diagnostic reports that show that you're heading better. Has God ever done anything instantly in the middle of your mess or whatever and God showed up and made a way out of no way? That's what God is saying. Don't forget that. I'm going to do a new thing and it's going to be new. It's not going to be new as an out of my character. It's going to be new because it's not anything you've heard before. And somewhere in our thinking and our theology, we sometimes think that God is not able to do a new thing. God is able to do a new thing because we look through the Bible and we see the ways he worked and we think God is limited to what he records and what the Holy Spirit recorded in the scripture. If God wants you to die and be resuscitated to life, that's what God going to do. If God wants you to come become so low and broke and seem so helpless and while you're there, lift you up. As a matter of fact, don't lift you up. Don't lift, don't lift you up. Give you the strength to walk out of it. That's what God is going to do. Faith doesn't trust in how God is going to do it. Faith trusts that God will do it. And some of us put our trust in our thoughts on how he's going to do it. And when it don't happen, we, we lose faith. So God is going to do a new thing. Like he does a new thing with everybody that receives him today. If you are not saved, God wants to do a new thing. How do you know? If any man in Christ, he uses the same language. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away, and all things are become new. That's the same language he uses in this text. The new thing for many of us, for most of us, is that God saved us. Watch this. At one of the times that we least deserve being saved. Don't you get the grace of God? God is not waiting to zap us. He's not waiting to kill us for us to trip so that he can zap us in his anger and wrath and lightning on our house, burn up our house and do all of that. You get God mixed, mixed up with maybe your parental experience. Maybe you had somebody in your family that was ready to get you when you messed up or, or would come. Sometimes you, you confuse God with other church folk. The I told you so committee? No, nobody ever heard of the I told you so committee? I mean, they live for the opportunity for you to be wrong so that they could say, I told you so. God doesn't even say that. You know why God doesn't have to say that? Because he know where we're going. He already knows. You're not going to believe me. You're going to do it your way. You're going to get fearful. You're going to start spitting your fear out to other people. They're going to get afraid. And then I'm going to do this. And people are going to say, look, God made a way. I'm not going to say I told you so because I know where your heart is and I know where your faith is. So, so it's time. It's time. Stop getting in God's way. I, I had to repent of that first of all. Somebody prayed for me. That brother, Ogaro, he said a prayer. Praise leaders, you can get up. 
so that you might comfort the hearts of the people. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that later. But, uh, church, I have to admit, my, my faith has gotten weak in this process. And if you just give me a few seconds. My faith has gotten weak in this process. And whenever your faith becomes weak, you become vulnerable to other people whose faith is weak. And they will bring you stuff for your sight that will almost make you feel justified in having weak faith. When you stop believing Mountain View, that's a dangerous place to be. When you stop believing, I said this on Wednesday night, and a lot of this I speak from my own experience and my heart to you, that you become apathetic. Everybody say apathy. Here's a new word for you young people. To have apathy means you don't care anymore. And I'm wondering if somebody's ever been to a point in their life where they don't even care. Because when you don't feel like God's hand is moving and that God has done all he's going to do, you stop caring. And then everything in our heart likes to escape through our mouths. So you pass that spirit on to others or you receive it from others. You start walking by sight and you start seeing in this process how many empty chairs there are. At all the right times, somebody will tell you people who have gone other places. You become so consumed with your losses that you ignore your gains. Yeah, yeah. You ignore that even though your army is 300, doesn't mean you have it, don't have an army. You ignore the fact that God told you to move and basically can be telling you you are moving with too many people. And you start buying in to the devil's logical lie and accepting defeats that you haven't lost. What do you mean? You didn't lose. You just accept defeat. How dare you? Be gifted with the ability to fight. Throw a left hook and a right hook. But your faith has gotten so weak that you get in the ring and declare yourself the loser and the opponent the winner. And he didn't even have to take a swing at you. That's a bad place to be. Then you try to remember and hold on to that. And it gets distant, more distant, more distant because you're talking about what happened in the past like it happened yesterday, but that happened years ago. The devil's playing games. He's playing games with your faith. Hear me, people of God. He knows how to play games with your faith. He plays games with your faith so that he can have it. Because a church without faith is a church that will only look like they're going somewhere. Comes a treadmill congregation. And guess what? When that faithless spirit settles on any man who's leading in any capacity, he doesn't have to speak it it will begin to ooze out of the pores of his spirit. 
to where he stopped speaking victory and he starts speaking defeat. And I've learned about something, something about you people. And when I say you people, I'm talking about the people of God. That you put your heart into something that faith is in. But if there's no faith there, it becomes immediately a bad investment. So what I'm telling you, Mountain View, is that when you feel like you have no testimony before you, then God might be saying, don't ponder those things. Remember that even when you're in Babylon, when you're in a stuck place of bondage, God might be telling you, I'm about to do a new thing. Stand to your feet.